Al Jazeera podcast. Welcome to Necessary Tomorrows. My name is Ursula. I am an AI. And I have inferred from your online activity that you have been feeling more dread than hope when you think about the future that is coming for us here in the 2060s. So I have created a course just for you to enhance your capacity for imagining different futures. Your class starts January 8th. Necessary Tomorrows, an audio series by Doha Debates and Al Jazeera. Find it where you listen to podcasts. Israel is reportedly using artificial intelligence in its war on Gaza. The technology is being employed to select and expand potential targets. But with more than 15,000 Palestinians killed so far, what are the implications for civilians in Gaza? I'm Jonah Hull, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Well, let's bring in our guests in Tel Aviv. Meron Rappaport, editor of Local Call, a Hebrew language news site advancing citizen journalism and an independent media. In Durham in the UK, Robert Geist Pinfold, lecturer in peace and security at Durham University, who specializes in military occupation and exit dilemmas and researches Israeli foreign and security policy. And in Utrecht in the Netherlands, Jessica Dorsey, international lawyer with expertise in international humanitarian and human rights law. She also leads the Realities of Algorithmic Warfare project at Utrecht University. A warm welcome to each of you. Meron Rappaport, I'd like to start with you. Your outlet, Local Call, uh, did the investigative reporting uh, that revealed details about this system, uh, Habsora, the gospel as, it, as, it's, uh, as it's known in English. Uh, in a piece of work titled The Assassination Factory. Set the scene for us. What is this system? How does it work? Uh, the system, uh, um, it, is, uh, um, it is based on AI. Uh, it, is, uh, uh, it is collecting um, all kind of information in order to what uh, the army itself calls a factory for uh, producing uh, uh, targets. The ex-chief uh, of staff, Aviv Kohavi, when he left his office about a year ago, he said that prior we would have uh, uh, produced 50 targets a year. Now we can uh, produce 100 uh, targets a day. It seems that in this war, the pace is even higher. Uh, exactly how uh, does this, uh, these uh, targets are produced? Of course, we don't know exactly, and it's not clear even if the intelligence itself, uh, intelligence people it's, uh, themselves know exactly. Uh, mm. They do know, you know, uh, how that these are being produced by AI. Uh, they, in order to, to ex execute uh, an attack, of course, there's a human uh, 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 decision in order to push the button. It's not pushed by itself. Let's not we'll, be, let's we'll, be clear about we'll get, it. We'll get to that. Uh, it's, it's, it's a relative innovation in Israeli warfare. It's not the first time it's been deployed. Uh, it was first spoken about back in 2021, the 11 days of war in 2021, when Israel boasted then about fighting its first AI war using machine learning and advanced computing. Now, though, yes. presumably more advanced. 
Yes, it's more advanced. And I think what is really relevant is, of course, uh, the, that, uh, you know, that uh, there is this uh, uh, producing of targets in an AI way, uh, in an uh, artificial intelligence way. The most uh, uh, incriminating or maybe worrying uh, element in our uh, investigation is that uh, in every for every target there is a file, and in this file it's written how many civilians hmm. are in this target. Uh, so uh, what uh, it appears that the army knows exactly how many civilians are living in such and such apartment that is being targeted for an attack. Uh, so the outcome of killing civilians is practically known in advance. Uh, so this is what makes this use of AI really, really worrisome. Yes, and sinister. Let me bring in Jessica Dorsey there. We got a bit of perspective uh, from Meron, 50 targets a year the army used to be able to generate. Now it's 100 a day with this new AI technology, which allows them presumably to get close to this 15,000 targets that they've hit in just 35 days of war. That's according to the Israeli army itself. And uh, by comparison, in 2014, 51 days of war, then they hit something like five or six thousand targets, all of which accounts for the extremely high civilian death toll, shockingly high for this period of conflict. Yeah, I think um, what that piece illustrated were three extremely concerning uh, aspects. Obviously, the, um, the, the, the the use of AI to generate at such speed uh, these kinds of targets, we're still not, all the details aren't quite known yet, but certainly to push back on that narrative of precision in warfare, we're seeing entire city blocks flattened. Precision is not on the order here. Um, another issue highlighted in the reporting from 972 is the non-military targets, the power targets, um, allegations that those were chosen to intend to create a shock for the civilian population. These are very concerning in, in legal terms, thinking uh, along the lines of in, uh, possibilities to um, try to terrorize a population, these kinds of things. Look, Another really worrying aspect is that the loosening of the civilian casualty constraints. So essentially in a proportionality assessment under international humanitarian law, you have to think about your direct military advantage versus the kinds of civilian harms that you can expect. And when you loosen those constraints, that used to be something like permitting perhaps dozens of civilian casualties to now hundreds, this is a recipe for disaster that's being borne by, the brunt of it is being borne by the civilians on the ground in these densely populated areas like Gaza. It's well, very concerning. Um, and, and from an international legal perspective, I think we have to be very, very, um, uh, well, we need to push back as an international community on the proportionality questions, as well as distinction about what kinds of targets are being um, uh, exploded in these situations. Um, right. If they're non-military targets, this is directly contrary to international law. Well, let me put this to Rob Geist-Pinfold. Uh, reporting in the Israeli media, Rob describes the system's ability 
to order precision strikes while, quote, making sure as far as possible there will be no harm to non-involved civilians. That comes from a report in Yedioth Aronoth newspaper. That's what the Israeli public is being told and that you've only, you've only got to look around and look at these figures and look at the devastation to wonder whether, you know, either this system isn't working or there's been a substantial policy change and the military's targeting is simply indiscriminate. I think... It's the policy change. That's what matters here. Uh, and we focus on the AI, uh, but we have to look at Israel's objectives in this war. Traditionally, when Israel's gone to war or uh, engaged in conflict with Hamas and indeed with Hezbollah, it's been uh, a status quo power. Israel's objective has been to basically reinforce the status quo, to project its deterrence, uh, to get the other side uh, to be invested in the status quo and to disincentivize them from trying to change things. Uh, the attacks on October the 7th meant all of that um, was basically, uh, was uh, Israel reshuffled its um, security conception. It moved from um, preserving the status quo to trying to create a new status quo. So Israel's objective in this war, its stated objective, is removing Hamas from power or at the very least dealing a crippling blow. That would entail killing or capturing the group's military leaders, removing it from uh, a governance role in most or all uh, of the Gaza Strip, for example, and dealing a lethal bl uh, blow to its military wing. Uh, so that requires a completely different... Um that, that's a completely different operational question for the IDF. Uh, if previously they were looking uh, to keep things the way they are, the fact that they're keeping, they, they now want to change things mean that Israel's targeting parameters have been broadened significantly. Um, we know that Israel traditionally operates by what's been described as a traffic light system. Mm -hmm. uh, they know how many civilians are in uh, these locations, uh, and they code them by red, yellow, and green, uh, depending on how many civilians are there and the high value of the target. Red obviously meaning, uh, meaning that they are less likely or shouldn't attack. Green meaning that the attack should be a go. And because it has different aims, because uh, Israel's society is reeling from those attacks on October the 7th, uh, those, um, the goalposts have shifted significantly. And Israel, as you've said previously, now has significantly broader targeting parameters. Many of those targets that were previously red or yellow have now become green because Israel has different political objectives in this war. That is the removal of Hamas. Meron, is that what you're reporting revealed, essentially, that whilst this system is able to give pretty accurate data about the numbers of civilians in any given targeted area, that data is actually being used to decide to attack, in some cases, rather than not to attack? Yes, of course. Uh, I think uh, there is... Uh, um, uh, it's true that I think the goals of this war are different. And uh, um, the sources that we have talked to, you know, are not uh, um, in, a, in a position to know exactly what are uh, the goals of the higher military commands. But it's clear that the goals are different, that the goals are to eliminate Hamas uh, uh, and re basically to reoccupy Gaza, as we've heard yesterday from Prime Minister Netanyahu, uh, to totally reoccupy Gaza and, uh, uh, and control it militarily. Uh, this also uh, uh, means, or it meant, 
in the first stage in northern Gaza, uh, uh, driving away uh, uh, more uh, a million uh, people uh, to the southern uh, uh, parts of the Gaza Strip. Uh, how, uh, what connection is there between the loosening of uh, of its uh, uh, of its rules concerning uh, civilian uh, casualties uh, and uh, uh, and to the effort to drive away this population. Of course, this is something that we don't know, you know, exactly. But I think uh, it's quite plausible to assume that there is a connection, a very maybe a very close connection between these two uh, aims, uh, between these two phenomena. On the one hand, push the Palestinian south, and on the other. Uh, make a very loose uh, attack uh, civilian targets in a very loose way, uh, knowing that there, are, there may be uh, dozens or even in one case, as reported, hundreds of civilian casualties that could be hurt out of uh, one attack. So, uh, you know, it comes together. It seems that it comes together. Jessica Dorsey, a war then... <laughs> on civilians as much as a war on Hamas, essentially. Would you agree with that? Well, that's, I think, de facto what we are seeing. So back to the, the points raised by the, the other two panelists, the policies, the strategic aims and goals may have changed, but law, wars still have laws. And those are imperative, not only for the protection of civilians, that centering the protection of civilians has to be it's a legal obligation to follow that. And, and not only is it a legal obligation, we're seeing even close allies, the United States uh, Secretary of Defense has pushed back on this policy change and approach, saying that Israel risks a strategic defeat if they do not protect civilians. So it's legal, it's strategic, it's in the interest of everyone to uh, be much less uh, loose, let's say, with respect to the targeting parameters. Well, it's all, very, think, well, it's yeah. all very well to say that, much as, as politicians in Washington can say that. Is Israel and the government of Mr Netanyahu are apparently blindly, uh, blithely ignoring uh, all of that. There's not very much anybody can do about it. Well, it seems in the short term that may be, unfortunately, the case, but I do think... Uh, in the longer term, certainly there are investigations ongoing with respect to uh, international criminal law at the moment. The prosecutor of the International Criminal Court has opened up investigations to both sides of the atrocities. So that's something that's being done. Certainly, the more that comes out about the loosening of these particular constraints can turn the tides from allies even farther. To hear the United States pushing back um, on the particular lack of precision I think is quite a telling step. Um, yeah, I share the, the sentiment. I wish that something could be done in a much more acute way because people are suffering, people are dying as we speak. Um, so it does feel somewhere like nothing is being done, but I assure you that's, that's not the case. I, I want to just focus you for a moment back on AI, artificial intelligence, the system that we are discussing, uh, and, and your concern that you've raised about automation bias as part of the functionality of this system and what can potentially go wrong with it. What do you mean by that? 
Yeah, I think certainly from the reporting, I was quite concerned. The, the red flags of automation bias uh, were raised by reading that essentially what automation bias is, is uh, AI and, and machine learning develops uh, particular targets or makes decisions in a much faster way than humans can. And they do this based on algorithms and computer science. And that has a tendency because of the speed at which it happens um, for humans to start believing what the machine generates is the right direction, the way to go. So the trust in what the, the system generates um, is to be trusted. So we have to uh, allow that to continue. So de facto, even if a human is making decisions on whether to fire um, a bomb based on algorithmically selected targets or not, de facto, and we're seeing also with this reporting, that um, the, the pace at which this is happening doesn't allow for really very much meaningful human control and review of what kinds of civilian casualties are happening based mm. on the target selection, because it's just happening at such a rapid pace. Rob Geis Pitfall, one of the fascinating things that uh, struck me in the reporting was that in the past, one of the problems Israel had was that it ran out of targets quite quickly because senior commanders would go immediately underground into the tunnel system and they wouldn't be able to find them. Now they've got this system which is generating these huge numbers of targets among much lower value Hamas kind of foot soldiers and enabling them to go in and hit them at home uh, and their families and bomb and use heavy artillery in big uh, populated apartment buildings, killing everybody in the vicinity. Uh, it sort of explains, doesn't it, why Israel hasn't been able to claim the death of many Hamas senior figures, but has claimed the deaths of thousands of Hamas fighters and why this technology isn't going to help them in the end reach the goal of eliminating Hamas. It's not going to help them get commanders, is it? Well, this is the issue here. Many of the commanders have already gone to ground. Uh, many of them will probably be in the uh, so-called Gaza Metro, Hamas's tunnel network, uh, under the territory. Uh, but I think, you know, your question here about Israel going after Hamas's commanders, it also reveals some of the operational and intelligence failures uh, that have guided Israeli policy to this point. Uh, obviously, um, Israel has gone into the Gaza Strip. It's gone primarily into northern Gaza. It's focused its offensive on Gaza City. Uh, and, you know, it could claim uh, victories there in terms of the casualties, the Israeli casualties being relatively low compared to what was expected. Uh, the number of Hamas casualties, it claims, and obviously, you know, you take this with a pinch of salt, it claims to have killed between five to 6,000 uh, Hamas fighters. But at the same time, um, Israeli officials were telling us time and time again that Hamas's entire command and control network is concentrated in the Gaza City area. There's no need for them to expand the war to southern Gaza. Uh, and now the ceasefire has ended, Israel is looking to do exactly that, to expand its war to southern Gaza. It's saying that actually um, either uh, these key commanders weren't there at the start, they weren't in northern Gaza, or they were able to relocate to, uh, to southern Gaza. So Israel has made a... Um, uh, uh, even though it's short term, this looks like an operational or strategic victory for Israel, it may actually um, belie greater intelligence or operational failures, which will mean it now has to expand its war to the southern Gaza Strip. And the issue here, as, as Meron mentioned, is that it has um, 
pressured 1.1 million Gazans to leave northern Gaza and move to southern Gaza. It's also under increasing pressure from the Biden administration. The U.S. is saying, um, we will not let you um, have such a high civilian death toll if you do expand your war to Gaza. You know, our support is finite. Our support is dependent on you preserving civilians and allowing uh, fuel, for example, and other resources to access the Gaza Strip. So Israel now finds itself in a strategic dilemma. It feels it has to expand the war to southern Gaza, but at the same time, its ability to do so is limited uh, by uh, its, the, the closing window of political support from the Biden administration, and that window is only going to close further if um, civilian casualties escalate, which at the moment, because of Israel's previous policy of deporting all of those civilians to southern Gaza, that looks sadly inevitable. And, of course, it, it won't help that particular argument, will it, Jessica Dorsey? the fact that this system and what we now know about it uh, raises serious questions about what Israel and the Israeli army frequently say, and Israeli politicians too, is the reason for high civilian de death toll, which is that Hamas and other armed groups embed themselves within the civilian population. What we now know is that targets are being generated to hit minor-level foot soldiers where they live, in their homes, which, by definition, are in amongst civilians in densely packed civilian areas. So there's no way to hit them without hitting civilians. That really undermines the argument, doesn't it? Absolutely, and I think that that is sort of the, the key or the crux here of the argument regarding proportionality and also the distinction discussion we had earlier about the kind of excessive civilian harm that we're seeing in relation to the direct military advantage expected. If you're going after low-level guys, um, that is not in any way in line with international legal uh, obligations. And you do, Israel has an obligation to protect civilians um, and, and follow the laws of war. And I think with the AI system, the way that it's generating these targets at such a fast pace, I think obviously it's acutely problematic in Gaza right now, but other countries are watching and learning the way that this is being yeah. rolled out. There will be actors who will tune in. Well, this is how AI ought to be, um, that is being used. Perhaps they're getting away with certain things. I think that that's a real danger that we haven't touched upon Indeed. just yet. Well, about I, I, I wanted to ask, look. I wanted to put that very point to Meron Rappaport. This has got to be a fascinating experience for other militaries bent on this sort of uh, of war fighting to learn from. It's not just a targeting factory that they're looking at, but they're looking at a sort of live fire, real time experiment in the evolving use of artificial uh, intelligence in this war on Gaza. Um, as for, you know, for international uh, uh, implication, I'm, I'm not uh, really in a position to uh, to comment to, to comment too much. I do have to to comment that uh, Israel claims that it did hit some high-ranking uh, Hamas leaders, uh, le uh, uh, heads of, of uh, brigades. Uh, Hamas is not that big, but again, uh, they did hit some uh, high-level uh, Hamas. Uh, uh, militant commanders. So, and and yes, and of course, it has to be mentioned that uh, you know Israel went to this operation after this terrible massacre of the 7th of October, where um, uh, hundreds of civilians were massacred and and uh, brought into uh, uh, hostages. Uh, civilian hostages were taken to Gaza, and this yes. 
although the army, of course, does not uh, uh, does not admit it, but the vengeance uh, uh, motive is very much there. Uh, nobody will admit it, but it's uh, it's certainly behind mm. uh, the the the, the uh, intensity. Uh, not alone, maybe even the brutality of these early attacks. Uh, but this, as was said by my colleagues before, this does not permit Israel to ignore international law and the, the need to protect civilian life, long, not only for moral reasons, only for its own sake. Because if Israel does not respect these laws, it will only create more hatred in the region. It will create gener generations of Palestinians who will want also to revenge and we will uh, uh, go into an endless circle of violence. We will not end violence, we will create more violence. Rob Geis Pinfold, wrap this up for us in terms of, as we were discussing there, the future of AI in warfare. Sure, you've got a machine now which is generating uh, targets, but it's still a human being who decides to pull the trigger. And if, as Meron's reporting suggested, some Israeli commanders are perhaps more trigger-happy uh, than others, well, you've certainly got the potential for an extremely potent war-fighting weapon in this war and many to come. Yeah, um, it's very clear that, you know, what's going on here is kind of a petri dish for future conflicts. We are seeing an increased move to uh, AI, uh, even before the 7th of October. You know, people were talking about Israel's uh, military intelligence capabilities, for example, its use of AI like Stuxnet uh, to cripple Iran uh, Iran's nuclear program as another example. Uh, but even uh, on the Gaza border, you know, one, I think this will figure in a commission of inquiry, by the way. One of the problems that uh, enabled Hamas to kill so many people on October the 7th and to breach Israel's border in so many places and to take and hold territory was because Israel relied on an automated network. It used sensors, it used drones, for example, it used cameras. There was a, a surprisingly um, scant and, and small human presence in terms of Israeli soldiers uh, on the border, uh, simply because uh, the Israeli Defense Forces felt that it could manage Gaza uh, from afar. Uh, that was proven horrifically wrong on October the 7th uh, in terms of not just the massacre uh, of Israelis and, and the shock to Israel, but also, of course, Israel's subsequent military campaign in the Gaza Strip. But I do want to know, uh, make it clear that Israel, um, Israel Very quickly, does not Rob, want if you wouldn't mind. significant. Yeah, Israel doesn't want to cause significant civilian casualties. That's not out of a humanitarian. Uh, or, or international legal perspective, it's because it knows the more civilian casualties that are generated and caused, uh, okay. the more pressure there will be on Israel to stop its operation. Okay, we're going to have to leave it there. And thanks to all my guests, Meron Rappaport, Rob Geist-Pinfold and Jessica Dorsey. This episode was produced by Damien Lay, Fintan Monaghan, Veronica Pedroza and Jimmy Getoun. Studio sound was by Yasir Rahmani, the programme was edited by Zeyna Bada and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening and tune in on Monday for our next edition. We live in a world where the news is at our fingertips, where we're one click or swipe away from the latest headlines. But how often do we stop swiping and scrolling and just listen? 
It's the difference between knowing what's in the headlines and understanding how it got there. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take, Al Jazeera's daily news podcast, where we bring you the context and the people behind the global stories that matter. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.